We've only got a couple weeks left in Revelation, and then I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, if we've only got two weeks left in Revelation, and what are you going to do for two weeks? That's a surprise. You're going you're gonna to like it. It'll be worth your while to come out on Tuesday night, the 17th and the 24th. But anyway, this is a great chapter. I mean, they've all been great, but we're in now to what, what's sort of called the eternal state, what we think of when we think of heaven, so to speak. And, and what little bit the Bible reveals to us about the eternal state, much of it is contained in these last two chapters of Revelation. Let's be reminded of this. When Jesus said to his followers, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is described in Revelation 21 and 22 is this prepared place. This is what Jesus was preparing for us when he went back to glory for the last couple of thousand of years. And uh, it, it's... Even this, obviously, is not a comprehensive study of all that Jesus has planned for us. It's just what He has chosen to reveal at this point. Because much of it, part of the problem, and I think why God gives us very little, obviously, about the eternal state in heaven, is because we have such a tendency, even as Christians, to interpret how things are going to be in heaven by what our experience is on earth. And what God is trying to say is, look, you, got, you can't interpret heaven or the eternal state by what things are like now. Don't, you can't bring that over. And because God even knows that's almost next to impossible, um, He's saying, look, I'm going to give you a little bit to whet your appetite, to get you a little excited about it, obviously. But it's just so hard for him to lay out everything because we will interpret it based upon our earthly experience. And things are going to be so much different once we get to heaven. So let's begin to go down through this chapter and see some of the exciting things that Jesus is preparing for us. Notice, first of all, John writes in verse twenty, uh, chapter 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former or first heaven and earth has ceased to exist. It, it went away. It departed. It served its purpose. So for the eternal state, God is going to create a new blue atmosphere, a new starry atmosphere, okay? Not a new abode where God dwells, that He doesn't need to recreate, and a new earth. And the word new is very important. It means unprecedented. It means superior in kind. It means of the absolute highest quality. So God, in order for us to live for all of eternity, is going to say, look, I'm not just going to like renovate the present heaven and the present earth. I'm going to get rid of that because it's been tainted. I'm going to create an absolute new heaven and new earth that is unlike anything you and I could ever imagine. And then, he, like I said, he goes on to say, the first heaven and the first earth has ceased to exist. It goes away. It departs. And it reminds us again, again then, about where our value should be. Because Jesus is basically saying through John, look... <laughs> All that a lot of people put their efforts into is one day not even going to exist. 
So again, put your investment, put your effort in eternal things and things that will cross over, if you will, into this eternal state. That's why Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So all of us have to continually take stock of the fact, are we living for the here and now that will one day cease to exist? Or are we living for eternity? that which will truly last and be part of the new heaven and the new earth that we will be a part of as well. Then he says, verse 2, I saw a holy city. It reminds us of the character of this city that God is preparing for us right now. It is sacred. It is undefiled. It is a perfect place. It is holy, totally separated unto God. It will be unlike anything you and I have ever been a part of. And I also want you to concentrate on the word city. Because notice something here, that even in eternity, God wants us to be part of a supremely social community. There will be no such thing as living in isolation from each other. We will live in a supremely social community because we are going to be part of a city living together. Now that doesn't mean that in our glorified bodies, we can't go all over this great universe that God has created and visit and and go here and go there. We will have all of eternity to do that. And as we said, you know, last week, eternity starts... You know, whenever the billion years are up, that's when eternity even starts. So it's forever, folks. Lots of time. But there's going to be what I like to refer to as sort of a capital city, if you will, for the redeemed of all the ages. A place for us to come together in. And that's what Jesus has prepared for us. It's called the New Jerusalem. And it's a city. And it's a place where every one of us has a dwelling place, as Jesus talked about in John 14. Notice, it is descending out of heaven from God. Because this wonderful, perfect city is not something that man can create. Unlike what many false theologians and false teachers today, and even even false believers today, who somehow think that, Man is going to have the wherewithal to create a utopia on earth, and then we get the earth perfect, and then we call God back. That's not the way it is. The only perfection is going to come descending from above once He has gotten rid of the first heaven and the first earth. And notice here, It is made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Literally in the Greek, the words made ready mean having been prepared. Exactly what Jesus said. When I went back to heaven, after I ascended, I began preparing this place for you. And you and I, if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we have a place in the holy city the new Jerusalem. Remember something. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And we make our preparations to be part of that place, not when we die or not when we get there. We make preparations to be part of that place right here and now. 
Today is the day of our salvation, the writer of Hebrews says. These things were written, John says, that we might know that we have eternal life. And as we've been talking about through our series in the book of Romans on Sunday, salvation is not something God wants us to assume. He wants us to be assured of. He wants us to be confident of. Again, not based on anything that we have done, but the fact that we have put our personal trust and faith in what Jesus did for us. And so... It's been made ready. And then notice, like a bride adorned for her husband. I love this word adorned. It means having been decorated and furnished by God. Now, some of you all may like these like, you know, shows on television where they go in, they decorate a place, they, you know, get it all. Can I just tell you, Jesus is going to be better than all of them. And we can't even imagine the furnishings and the decorations that God will have for each one of us. Because, see, here's the cool thing about Jesus. Jesus created us. He knows us inside and out. He knows exactly what fits us. That's why His will for our life is something that perfectly fits us because He's our Creator. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. So think about this. When He's creating a personal space for us, a personal place for us in this holy city one day, that's going to be our own. It's going to be something very personalized and it's going to fit us because He knows us. And it's going to be furnished just for us. It's going to be decorated just for us. Which can only mean for Jeff Royce that one of the things I see when I walk into this place is a pan of brownies. They're waiting on me. No, no, no. Sorry, Lord, that demeans it entirely. But I hope you understand my heart, where I'm coming from here. Because that's what it means. He's adorned this place for us. Like a bride for her husband. That's the way God is describing, you know, when you think about weddings and and, and brides and and all that, you know, a, a wedding entails. It's like everybody wants to look their best and everybody wants everything just right. And God is describing how He has prepared our place like that, using that imagery, because He knows it will be a powerful image for us. And will resonate with us when we begin to think about this wonderful place God has decorated and furnished for us. Then, here's the most important, cool thing about eternity. Verse 3. More than this personal place for us, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne, which I believe is probably God's voice at this point, saying, look, the residence... And, and literally in the Greek, it's the word skene. It means tent or tabernacle. It was the word that was used to describe the tabernacle in the Old Testament. He says the tabernacle or the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be His people. See, notice here, the greatest thing about heaven is that God will visibly and personally be present with us. He will live with us. He will dwell with us. These words speak nothing except about companionship and fellowship. God wants to and is willing to hang out with us for all of eternity. And John is saying, that's the greatest thing about heaven. I mean, as great as our place will be, 
as beautiful as it will be, as much as it will fit us, as much as we know we've got a place of our own to call our own in some way throughout all of eternity. The greatest thing about eternity is we will get to personally hang out with God. He will visibly and personally be present with us. He will dwell with us. That's just amazing when you think about it. Because think about it. There are mere human beings that won't hang out with certain people. And here's the God of the universe who created everything, who is the source, the origin of all things, says, I'll hang out with you. I'll hang out with you. I mean, he could have, as God, obviously the self-existent God, when you think about it, he could have made eternity whatever he wanted it to be. And to think that God wants to make eternity about hanging out with us, dwelling with us, I don't know whether I'd want to do that. Do I want to hang out with me for all of eternity? You know, but God does. Take those words and meditate on them this week, this month, this year. Keep going back to Revelation and reminding yourself, God is going to be amongst us as human beings. He will live amongst us. We will be His people. And God Himself personally will be with them. And then notice this, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And folks, this isn't so... Everybody wants to concentrate so much on maybe why we're crying at this point. That's not John's focus here. John's focus isn't on so much why, what is, what is causing us to, to cry as much as the comfort that God is giving us. And notice something very important in your Bible. Your Bible translation should have tear in the singular. It shouldn't be tears. It should be tear. In other words, John is making the point. God is going to personally wipe away every single tear. That's what that means. That's comfort. That's spending time. That's being ministered to on such a personal level by God. That's how much God cares for us. And then I love this. He says, death will not exist anymore. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the former, the first things, again, have ceased to exist. They've gone away. They've departed. Sounds like a good time to me. This is our hope, folks. This is what we, the redeemed of Jesus Christ, have to look forward to. It's something that should be on our minds every day. It should be something that, that, that our focus is set on. It's what the Bible talks about. How we endure. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and we focused on the things beyond the current pressures and problems of life to what God has promised us. For even Paul said to the Romans, I reckon that the present sufferings of this world will not be worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Verse 5. The one seated on the throne, and notice... This idea of God being the sovereign ruler of the universe is something that's constant. Because the word seated speaks about a fixed abode. This is where God has always been. This is where God is. This is where God will always be. He's always ruling on His throne. We must not forget that. And then He says this, look! It's, it's like God is saying through this word, pay attention! I am making all things new. 
unprecedented, uncommon, unheard of. That's what the word new means. It will be beyond our imagination, which again is why God is not revealing a lot of specifics about this, but mostly generalities because it's just going to be beyond our ability on this side of glory to really be able to wrap our minds around it and take it all in. He does say this, write it down. Because these words are reliable, they're trustworthy, and they're true. It really is going to happen. I know, even as Christians, sometimes we read things like Revelation 21 and go, that just sounds too good to be true. A place where there's no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. A place where it's absolutely a perfect environment, finally. And see, one... One of the reasons why we will be okay with living in community with each other so closely in that holy city is because just going even back to what I said Sunday in in the book of Romans of what keeps us separated from each other is usually one of two things, hurt or guilt. That's why we don't like to hang around people as much as you know, God would ultimately desire and intended for us to because we've either been hurt by people so we distance ourselves from them because we don't want to be hurt or there's guilt there and we avoid each other. See, all that's going to be gone in this perfect environment so there will be nothing to keep us separated from each other. That's why it will be a supremely social community that we live in and we won't mind hanging around with each other because there will never be a time, and I know this is hard for you all with me, but there will never be a time where I don't or I do irritate you. I'll, I'll never irritate you, no matter how long you hang around me. And no matter how long anybody hangs around you, they won't be irritated, you see. And so again, even you, you stop and go, oh, that's hard to believe, because obviously on earth, you know, there, there, there's limits to our relational endurance, if you will of one another. But in eternity, that's part of what's going to be such a blessing is we're going to be able to hang out with each other for all of eternity. Because it's so unbelievable. Then he says in verse 6, it is done. It has been accomplished. It has become. In other words, from God's perspective, it's already done. And I really believe at this point, the place has already been prepared even at that point. I believe that it probably didn't take Jesus, you know, too long. I mean, since... He wouldn't have even had to take six days to create the universe. I'm sure when he went back to to glory to prepare this place, it's not like it takes God very long to do these things. He's God. And then he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. We're going to talk more about that next week in in chapter 22. What's all this mean? The beginning and the end. But then I love this. He says, to the one who's thirsty, who's eagerly longing for soul refreshment. That resonates with me because obviously the name of our church is the Oasis. And I want the Oasis Church to be a place where anyone who's longing to have their soul refreshed, that they can find a place in the desert where they can be refreshed, where their soul can be lifted, where they can be refueled, where they can be in some way restored, and where they can be encouraged and supported. That's what we want the Oasis Church to be. And even God is saying here the same thing. To the one who's thirsty, I'll give water free of charge, a gift without cost from the spring of the water of life. And the word spring means a gushing fountain. Because again, when God does something, He doesn't just do little. And this water of life means to satisfy. In other words, again, it goes back to what Jesus said in the Gospels. 
whenever he said to the woman by the well, he said, if you drink some of the water from that well, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink some of the water that I could give you, you'll never be thirsty again. It will totally satisfy you. That's what God can do that no one else can do. And so even here, God is saying that one of the great blessings about being part of this eternal state and all of this is there's just going to be total satisfaction. Because we're literally going to be able to drink from this gushing fountain that's supplied there called the water of life. Then he says, the one who conquers will inherit these things. Don't miss that word inherit. It means to receive an assigned portion. Again, every believer, every true believer in Jesus Christ will not only have their own place, but will have their own sort of part in the eternal kingdom. Their own role. Their own responsibility. And that's part of our inheritance, if you will. And then he goes on to say, I will be his God. He will be my son. Verse eight. Now, before I read verse eight, I think there's been a lot of misinterpretation of this verse. My personal take on this verse is that this verse is describing the eternal sinfulness of unbelievers. This is not describing those who are left out. It's, in a sense, describing those who are already left out, not part of this great scene that's being described here. And he's reminding us that just like the eternal bliss of those who know Christ in heaven, let's realize something. That those who go out into eternity without Christ, they are eternally sinful. And they stay in that sinful state forever. So he says, to the cowards, unbelievers, detestable persons, murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic spells, idol worshipers, all those who lie, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's their assigned destiny. Not inheriting the things that he talked about in verse 7. That is the second death, and we've already talked about that. That's the deeper, final, eternal loss and separation that those who don't have Christ will experience. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven final plagues came and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And there again, he's using this imagery that resonates with us because he's reminding us again, one of the joys of heaven is that we're going to be married to, if you were. We're going to be joined to, in a very intimate way, God. That's why he uses the marriage imagery. That's why he uses a description of, of the church and, and all the redeemed of all the ages as the bride of Christ. Because he wants us to understand in that imagery, there, there's, a, there's a joining there. There's an intimacy there that we're going to have with God in heaven that we can't even have even as Christians here on earth. Because there we're going to be face to face with God. And actually be part of his visible personal presence and his personal ministry in our life. Does he minister to us now? Yes, but it's going to be so much even higher and greater when we get there. And then he says, He took me away in the spirit to a huge majestic mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And now, beginning for the rest of the chapter, he's going to give us a few more specifics about this city. And I just want to touch on these tonight because again, I could never do this chapter justice in trying to totally expound and explain it as it should be. 
I think you allowing the Holy Spirit of God to do that for you personally, you're going to get much more out of it than my feeble attempt. But I do want to share a few things with you. Notice, first of all, again, that one of the, one of the greatest things about this city is found in verse 11. The city continually possesses, and in the Greek language, it's, it's a forever thing. The city continually possesses the glory of God. The visible manifestation of His perfection will always be a part of the city. And so notice, it's brilliance, it's brightness. In the Greek, it talks about the shining, the light of the glory of God is going to be there. And notice, it's like a precious jewel. The word precious is an important word. It's a word that's used throughout the rest of this chapter. And it's a word that speaks of something of great value and worth. And so I want you to see tonight that one again, the great aspects of what God is going to do for His people down through eternity is that He's giving us things of the greatest value and the greatest worth. Which is a challenge to us, I think. Because even as Christians, how often are we really giving God our best what is of greatest worth and value? Or are a lot of times we giving Him what we have left over? What is our second best or third best? Even though God always gives us His very best. And even in eternity, what this chapter is reminding us of is this city and these places that Jesus has made for us and the fact that He's going to be right there with us and all of this reminds us that even throughout eternity, God doesn't slack off giving us His best. He always will give us His best. Because that's who He is by nature. You and I can't even imagine what this is going to be like. Because even here on earth, if you remember in the transfiguration, when a couple of Jesus' disciples were there on the mount, and Jesus, just for a split second, sort of flashed, if you will, His glory. And Peter was like, that was great, let's just stay here. Can you imagine what it's going to be like, not just to see a glimpse, but to see this glory, unhindered, unheld back, and it's going to be continually part of the city in which we live. We literally are going to walk, live, serve, participate, be with each other. And everything that surrounds us is going to be the glory of God. We're not going to be able to go anywhere or do anything without His glory. This brilliant glory. The visible manifestation of the perfection of God being with us at all times. And then he goes on to say, it's like a stone of crystal clear jasper. Then, verse 12, this city has a defined perimeter. These walls that he's going to talk about aren't for security because we are absolutely secure. In fact, we're going to talk about that in, in just a minute. There's a security here that's unlike anything that we could ever have on earth. But notice there is a definition of this city, if you will. It has a massive, verse 12, high wall. And notice how many times 12. 12 is a very significant number to God. And it's very significant 
in the new Jerusalem. Notice, it had a high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gate, and the names of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel written on the gates. There are also three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And that's because these three gates that signify each of the three tribes are exactly identical to the way the nation of Israel surrounded the tabernacle. If you go to the Old Testament and see how, the, how God had the tribes partitioned around the tabernacle, it was exactly the same way. But obviously we know that eternity isn't just for the Jews who know God as their Messiah. It's for Gentiles as well. So notice on in verse 14. The wall of the city has 12 foundations. And on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so what John is is describing here is a city that's going to remind us of, in a sense, Old Testament, New Testament, of Jew and Gentile, all being one in one city for all of eternity. And, And it's not that there is no distinction anymore, because even in the eternal state, notice that Israel is kept separate from the church. The church, not, not in a unified way, but just there's always a distinction there with God, unlike many people who teach that somehow the church swallows up Israel. That's just not biblical. And God keeps that distinction even throughout eternity here with the description of this great city. Then I want you to see this. I want you to see how massive this city is. Now again, This is just the city. Can we go anywhere in the new heaven and the new earth? Absolutely. We'll be able to travel, go anywhere in this new heaven and the new earth. But this city will have special significance because it will be sort of the place throughout eternity we will sort of call our home, our, our headquarters, if you will. The place we always will come back to, this city. And I want you to see how big it is. Notice, the angel who spoke to me, verse 15, had a golden measuring rod with it to measure the city and its foundation stones and wall. The city is laid out as a square. I like to think of it more as a cube. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the measuring rod at 1,400 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400. That's a big city, folks. That would extend approximately as far as from Maine to Florida, as far as trying to get some kind of picture. But that's just one side of it. That doesn't take into account 1,400 miles high and all the rest. He says, he also measured its wall, verse 17, 144 cubits according to a human measurement. Because notice here, God is condescending, if you will, in order for us to gain some kind of understanding by using human measurement. Even the angel, notice, is having to use a human measurement. In other words, it's sort of the idea is, angels usually don't use human measurements, but for our sake, the angel's going to measure this with a human measurement so that we can have some kind of understanding to wrap our minds around. Now notice this, verse 8, the city's wall is made of jasper and the city is pure gold like transparent glass. I I can't even imagine. First of all, gold, the city is made of gold. Pure, 
transparent. Have you ever seen pure transparent gold? It, it, the beauty of this city is just... So now you've got the, the bigness of it, how massive it is. Then we begin to have described for us, beginning in verse uh, 18, the beauty of this city. Notice the foundations of the city's wall are decorated with every kind of, here's the word again, precious stone of great value and worth. The first foundation is jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysophrase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And then notice this. This blows me away. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. How big is that oyster? (laughs) Obviously. Each one of the gates is made from just one pearl. By the way, the word pearl has in its meaning that which is of great worth and value. In fact, some have wondered, why are the gates made of pearl? I'm going to give you a couple of ideas that I have. One, remember when Jesus talks about the pearl of great price? He's saying to this person in a parable, he says, the kingdom of God is like this pearl. He said this this merchant who was, you know, investing in pearls went out and he was always seeking pearls to invest in. And finally, one day, he found the greatest pearl he had ever seen, ever. And Jesus said, what did he do when he found that greatest pearl of great price? He sold everything he had and bought it. And Jesus described the great pearl as that of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And what Jesus was teaching is this. Going back to what we've said throughout this passage. If we really understood what should be of greatest worth and value to us, we would give our all for that. And I think the pearl that's going to be the gates in this city is going to remind us this is what should have been the greatest worth and value. Could anything be of greater value and worth than what God has prepared for us to be a part of for all of eternity? And the second thing I see in this pearl is this. When an oyster makes a pearl, he makes it from this irritation or hurt that gets embedded there and the oyster begins to cover over that hurt or irritation and that's what with what over time creates the pearl. God has taken a lot of what has hurt and covered it over in order to make something very beautiful out of In a sense, that's what God has done with each one of us. Because we've all, as we've talked about in the book of Romans, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all hurt God in some way. But God graciously has covered that over with the blood of Christ and made something beautiful out of it. Just like the, just like the uh, oyster does to create the pearl. So the gates will be one pearl. And the main street of the city is pure gold like transparent glass. Unbelievable beauty in the city. Then I want you to see this in closing. 
Notice that heaven, once again, as we've talked about through our whole series of Revelation, is going to be a place of pure, undistracted worship. Nicole's like, Amen. Amen. We've got too many distractions down here for worship. And, and, And notice why I say that. Notice what it says in verse 22. I saw no specific place of worship, no temple in the city. And that's unheard of. Throughout the history of mankind, you go into any major city, there's always some place of worship, right, for people to come. But in the eternal state, in heaven, there's not going to be any need of a specific place of worship. Why? Because the all-powerful Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. That's the focus of worship. God Himself. There will be nothing between. We won't be distracted by buildings, by by music, by what kind of music, by all the distractions that distract us from just focusing on God. In the eternal state, God alone will be the focus of our pure worship. And notice something very important here that John sort of slides in, but I don't want it to slide by us. I want you to see here very clearly that John puts the Lamb equal with the Lord God. Notice, they're both the Lord God and the Lamb, the temple. So that the Lamb is equal to the Lord God. For those who don't give Jesus Christ His proper acknowledgement and honor, John does. John does. And then notice this, the city does not need the sun. Now this doesn't mean that there's not going to be a sun. Key word there, need. It doesn't specifically mean there might not be a sun or moon, maybe there won't. But it's saying there won't be a need for the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God lights it up. The Lamb is the lamp of the city. And and here, though, is a great indicator, too, just to get a little technical here as we close tonight, of why the eternal state that John is talking about is different from the millennial kingdom that we've been talking about. Because in the millennial kingdom, the Bible is very clear. There will still be the sun and moon. And there will still be a need of the sun and moon during the millennial kingdom. So that's what makes this different from the millennial kingdom. No need of sun or moon here in the eternal state. How bright is God? (laughs) How, How great is the glory of God that we won't need any more light? God is the light for all of eternity. Then he says, finally, God will be properly acknowledged by even the leaders of the world. The nations will live by or walk by its light. Oh, that the nations and leaders today would walk by the light of God. And the kings of the earth will bring their grandeur into it. Literally, the word means proper acknowledgement of God. Its gates, notice, will never be closed. Never be shut. Because it's not a security thing. We'll be able to go in and out of this city anytime we want to. And here's the other thing that separates the eternal state from anything we know up to this point. Notice, no more night. Night will not exist anymore. It will be day forever and ever. It will be light forever for a couple reasons. One, people do mainly bad things at night. But secondly, let's not forget something. What do we do a lot of times at night? Some of us sleep. Some of you don't. 
Some of us sleep at night. Well, again, in the eternal state, glorified bodies, we're not going to have to sleep. We're not going to have to rest. We're not going to have to recharge ourselves. So it's going to be light for all of eternity. So those of you that don't sleep now, you're just going to get used to it. See, you just go right in. I don't sleep now anyway. Verse 26, they will bring the grandeur and the wealth of the nations, the honor which belongs to God into it. But in the very final verse of this chapter, again, John reminds us of something. Don't forget, he says, that this will be a perfect place because he says nothing ritually unclean, nothing common, nothing ordinary about this wonderful place at all will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or practices falsehood, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. A perfect, sinless environment for all of eternity. And Jesus says, I've done this for you. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus, in my mind, has done more than enough for me already. And then when I pile on top of what Jesus has already done for me, if Jesus never did one more thing for Jeff Royce, he's already done way more than Jeff Royce ever deserved. And yet when I read this chapter, it's like, God, you're piling on here. You keep doing more and more wonderful things. Oh, and by the way, this isn't just something for the short term. This is how you're going to treat me throughout all of eternity. And when I think that there have been times even in my Christian life where I've questioned the goodness of God. And when I read a chapter like Revelation 21, how could I ever question God being good to me? God being gracious to me whenever I read about what He has in store for me and for you. The only question I have as we close in prayer tonight is, I wonder which one of you is going to have to live next door to me for all of eternity. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Father God, we, we are just overwhelmed by Your goodness to us. When we think about what we have waiting for us, this place that Jesus Himself has personally prepared for each one of us, a place we can call our own. A place where we will be personally ministered to by You. A place where we will hang out with You for all of eternity. And all the saints of God from all of history. A place that is so beautiful. It's beyond our ability to, to grasp it all. A place that even its dimensions are, are beyond what we can, can comprehend. And you've done it all for us. You didn't do it for you. you. You don't need it. You're self-existent. You need nothing outside of yourself. But Lord, this again reminds us and shows us just how much you love us. How much you adore us. That you would do all this for us. And not just for a short amount of time, but that you are willing to do this for all of eternity. Lord, You as the God of the universe are willing to make eternity about hanging out with us and being our God and letting us be Your people. God, may those verses resonate 
reverberate in our hearts and minds in the days ahead. May we go back to this chapter over and over again and remind ourselves of the hope that we have and what we have to look forward to one day. May it inspire us. May it motivate us to live and give you, God, what is of greatest worth and value because, God, at every turn, we see that that's what you do for us. You always give us of your very best, including giving us Jesus, the Son of God. Go with us, God, tonight. God, we pray for us as a church that you will continue to just strengthen us, grow us, and God, just continue to give us all wisdom and and your leadership, Lord, as we seek a, a permanent place we can call our own oasis. Whether it's this land on Chandler Heights or wherever it is, God, all we want to do is just follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here tonight. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday.